A glorious day God has made for us today. As we consider uh, what it is that the Lord has for us this morning, we're, we're taking a, uh, a quick break from the book of Acts. And there's a few places, as, uh, as I was just preparing my heart, that's just what everybody else gets. As I prepare my heart for the solemn assembly and and uh, looking through Scripture, and I just want to have uh, an, an opportunity to set aside Sunday through Wednesday to just go after the Lord, to seek His face, to turn toward Him, and uh, find some way to humble myself and to allow God to do a, a great and awesome work. And we're going to be taking a look at a few places in Scripture this morning. I want to invite you first to go to Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1 is where we find the, the basis for a solemn assembly. A, a solemn assembly was something that happened over and over again. Every Sabbath, high holy day in the feast days of Israel was a solemn assembly. A solemn assembly was an opportunity for the people to come together and practically do what the Lord told Solomon to do in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You might remember 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon has this incredible prayer, uh, chapter 6, dedicating the temple and asking God, you know, Lord, we know as we build this temple, you're not going to live in it, that, that, that you won't fit, God of the universe won't fit in a, in a house built by man, but it's a symbol for where we can turn toward a place we can come to enter into your presence. Oh, look at you, brother. What is up with that? Oh, it's a banner day at the Roberts household. Now I can see myself getting fatter. <laughs> okay, so Solomon, he's praying. God, I want a way. We need a way back. We're going to fail you. We got this temple. We got a sacrificial system which speaks of our failures. It speaks of the struggles that we have in life. God, we need a way back. What's the way back? You know, we just pray, God, you'll hear us when we mess up. And you'll hear us when we get off track. And so this is his prayer in chapter 6. And, and the people kind of erupt into this, uh, this time of, of uh, extravagant worship. Loving God and making incredible sacrifices. And then from there, the, they go in through a, a, a solemn assembly where they just come together corporately and they have a, an attitude corporately of, of uh, repentance and confession and, and praise and worship, adoration of God. And then they go home. They go home. And, and, in, uh, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, uh, verse uh, 13 and 14, the Lord says to him. He says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people. And one of the things we talked about on Wednesday night as we went through this scripture is the Lord didn't say if. He said when I shut up the heavens. When things get difficult, when there is no rain, when it seems that the locusts are devouring everything around us, when there's pestilence or illness or sickness in the land. God said to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal the land. That was God's promise to Solomon and the children of Israel when they got off track how they could find a way back. But look in Joel chapter 1 as we look in Joel chapter 1 it says um, in verse 4 Joel chapter 1 what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine. For it has been cut off from your mouth. He's talking about a time of, of judgment, hardship. Remember what he said way back in Second Chronicles? If the locusts come. And sometimes that was symbolic. You know what I mean? Sometimes there was actually a plague of locusts. Right? But sometimes the locust stands for that, that devour. It devours your joy. It devours your sustenance. It devours the things that you have in your life. It devours your stuff. The day after you bought a new car, the locust showed up. Did you not notice? One of the first things my kids found every time we got a new car, I don't know where... The rest of the week, no problems, but we get a new car and somehow one of those permanent markers shows up. Where did that come from? The baby been playing all this time and never got into a permanent marker, but sometimes the locusts show up. It's okay. What the Lord says is when you recognize that there are locusts, when you start to see these things going on, He says, then it's time to turn your heart towards Me. So in, in Joel 1 verse 13, he says, Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. God would say through His prophets to the people, Stop giving me your sacrifices. Stop bringing me your offering." And start bringing me what I really would like. A broken heart. A contrite spirit. An attitude that really wants to know me. Wants to seek me. So in verse 14, the prophet declares, Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. I think too often we make excuses as we work our way through the Scripture and we look at things, especially things from the Old Testament, and we think they have no bearing for us anymore. That that, that there's no point in this. Now Christ has come and, and He's paid the price and our sins are forgiven. And all those things are absolutely true. But there are times, I think, when we look around and we can recognize, where's the rain? Where's that rain that speaks of that refreshing of God's Spirit in our life? Or maybe we see the the locust devouring our joy. Or maybe there's a pestilence. We're just tired and weak and... 
And we're not experiencing the strength that we, we seem to see throughout the pages of Scripture that maybe what Joel is saying applies to you and I. So as a body, we have consecrated a fast. Starts today. And it will end Wednesday night after the, the solemn assembly, a time where we come together and call on the name of the Lord, just like the Word declares. But whenever we talk about concepts like that, we talk about the fast and we talk about those issues, we we got to make sure we're doing it for the right reasons. You know that the New Testament tells us neither is the guy who eats better or the guy who doesn't eat. You guys with me? The Scripture doesn't say that somehow you become more holy because you fasted. It's not about the thing. And when that becomes the deal, our focus is wrong. We need to have a right focus. So to have a right focus as we go into... You know, four days of fasting. I want to encourage you to come with me to Isaiah 58. And God will tell you the kind of fast He wants. Isaiah chapter 58. I love the prophets. And the things that the prophets had to say, still have to say, to speak to us. Isaiah the prophet and Isaiah... Chapter 58 says, this is the fast that God has chosen. Listen, he says, cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. First, God tells the prophet, you make sure that the people understand that they recognize where their sins are. We're going we're gonna to speak toward that in just a moment, but the idea is, When we have a time of fast, the time of fast is an attitude of humbling ourselves, like 2 Chronicles 7, humble ourselves and pray. The time of fasting means that that becomes more important than other things in the world. People get hung up on fast all the time, and they say, well, what is a fast? Is a fast I don't eat at all? Sure. Is a fast I only have juice? Absolutely. Is a fast I only eat vegetables? Sure. See, don't get hung up on the point. You're looking at the wrong thing. The fast is to disconnect you from the world and turn and seek the Lord. And that might be TV. That could be the radio. That could be a video game console. It could be anything. It could be whatever thing it is that you're going to turn from and say, I'm not having anything to do with that. I'm seeking the Lord during this time. I'm going after God with my whole heart. That was the fast. See, people started at the time of Israel focusing on what they weren't doing. I'm not eating. Now you're focused on what you're not eating. You're supposed to be focused on the Lord. Or they're focused on how much weight they're losing during the fast. Folks, that's a diet. That's not a fast. You want to go on a diet, knock yourself out, but don't call it a fast. A fast is turning from something, from the world, most often food, but it could be anything, and turning toward the Lord. And using that desire that comes upon you about lunchtime when you're going, oh man, I cannot wait to have that big old juicy burger, and then all of a sudden, oh, that's right, I'm fasting. So we turn that desire for food toward the Lord. And we make it about Him. We make it about seeking Him. Going after Him. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What did Jesus say? 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? They shall be filled. Filled. That we want to be filled with the Lord. More of Him and less of whatever the thing is. Well, he says, think about your sins. Then he says, yet they seek me daily in verse 2. And they delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? The people were complaining, God, where are you? In all of this fasting and seeking after you. In fact, he says, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and you exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with a fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is this the fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush or to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Verse 6, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God says, this is the fast that I want. Not the fast where you set up a bunch of rules and regulations about what the fast is. What what I want from you is a willingness to loose the bonds of wickedness. What did he say in 2 Chronicles 7.14? To humble yourselves and pray. Seek His face. And what? Turn from your wicked ways. He said, this is what I want, you to loose the bonds of wickedness. You know, the scripture tells us that there is a sin which so easily ensnares us. We're called to run our race with endurance. To cast aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run the race that is laid out before us for the Lord. God would have us run our race. He says, the approved fast that I have is that you would cut the bonds of wickedness. Cut out those things, perhaps in our lives, that are holding us back from the Lord. To take away the heavy burden. The idea is to to unload a beast of burden. That you break the yoke. That you share your bread. That you do what Jesus did. That you do what Jesus did. He said, then... I will see, then I will hear. Verse 9, he says, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and He will say, Here I am. This is the fast that God has approved. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, 
If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord says, this is the fast that I approve of. Stop pointing your fingers at each other. Stop seeing the weakness in somebody else. And take the time to consider your soul. Reach out and be helpful. Satisfy the afflicted and your light, the light of Christ, will shine through your life. Verse 11 says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. Oh, when there's no rain. When that refreshing of the Spirit isn't there. He can satisfy us. And strengthen your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places, and you will raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And the Lord says, this is the fast that I have called. You repair the breach, the places where the walls are broken down. When you reach out a hand to the feeble, to the weak need, to the weary brother, this is the fast that I have called. That we have that right attitude that God has called us to. Listen to this in verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath of the light, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor Him by not doing your own ways. This is the fast that God has called. That we set aside the time to look to Him, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. This is the fast that I have chosen, God says. Then you will delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. The fast that God has chosen. The fast. You see, it's not about what you do or what you don't do. In fact, in your bulletins, there's some ideas. But you can follow those or make your own. The point is to set aside the next four days. Four days. And seek the face of the Lord like you never have before. Prayerfully, it will lead you to want to do that every day. But let's just focus on the next four. Four days going after the Lord like you go after the Big Mac. Going after the Lord like you go after whatever that thing is, whatever the desire is. Look, Everything we have in life is a gift given to us by God and it's given to us to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things God gives us. But sometimes our focus gets on to the gift and we forget about the giver. Is it possible that my eyes are so fixed on the gift God's given me that I forgot about the giver? And I can enjoy the gift so much that I... And not seeking 
the face of God anymore. And I've changed a relationship with the Holy God of the universe to a religion where I come and I sit down and I do my time. At the end of which I get up and I go to lunch and my day and my week go on without another thought toward the Lord until Sunday comes around again. God's given us lots of good things and He's given them to us to enjoy. But every once in a while it's healthy in the life of a believer to lay aside some of those gifts and set aside a time focusing on the giver. Eyes directed toward Him. I would have never believed it if it wasn't true. I would have said, oh, this is craziness. In fact, it wasn't that long ago somebody came to me a couple of years ago and they said, Jackie, you ever thought about fasting? And I said, oh, come on. Don't you remember that the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, how come your disciples don't fast like we do? And Jesus said, because the bridegroom's here. And why would they fast if the bridegroom's here? Man, we got Jesus. We don't need to fast anymore. We just stay focused on him. Is that what Jesus said? Interesting. Little by little, the Lord took me on a journey (laughs) until He brought me to Matthew 9. Let's flip over there. Let's take a look what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, as we look at the concept, the ideal of the fast, beginning at verse 14, Matthew chapter 9, says, Then the disciples of John came to Him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. Now some people think that occurred when Jesus died and was buried for three days. And for those three days the disciples fasted. But then he rose again. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about the fact that the bridegroom is going to be taken away for an extended period of time. Matthew chapter 25 would seem to carry that out. Because the next time Jesus talks about the bridegroom, he's talking about his second coming. That they're gonna, he's gonna go away. And when he goes away, he says, then my disciples will fast. But they're not gonna fast. Jesus is telling us, they're not gonna fast like you guys do, the Pharisees. They're not gonna fast on the sackcloth and ashes. It's not the same because you're looking, your fast is looking for a deliverer. Their fast is fasting from deliverance. Experiencing the deliverance of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what he tells us in verse 16. He says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins would break, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. The example that he's telling them as he's speaking in the subject of fasting is that the fasting that occurs, New Testament fasting is going to be different than how it was in the Old Testament. Fasting in the Old Testament was to receive forgiveness and to to show humility and receive 
uh, uh, God's favor. We have God's favor. What else is He going to give us? He's already given us His Son. Fasting in the New Testament is to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And all the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's what fasting is for now. Because I miss Him. I want to see Him. I want to be with Him. And sometimes the dreariness of this world starts to weigh down and I feel myself getting lax and I feel things taking place in my life that maybe wouldn't have took place when I first got saved and I'm making peace with the world and I don't want to make peace with the world. I want to go after Jesus. I want to have all of Him. Not just some kind of, of, a, of a religion. I want to have a relationship. And I think in that relationship, the Lord calls us to fast. Do you remember when Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration? We've talked about it before. He's up there with Peter, James, and John. And, and Jesus is transfigured. He becomes glorified. And He begins to shine. And Peter doesn't know what to do, so he starts talking. Have you ever known people like that? Don't know what to do and they just start talking? I tried. I, I, I want to help them somehow. I don't know how to help them all the time. But you know what God did? He said to Peter, in the Jackie paraphrase, Shut up and listen to my son. Stop talking. Just listen to Jesus. They have this incredible experience. They come down the mountain. You remember the trouble that was waiting for them down the mountain? A father whose child had been demon-possessed and the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And so he brought him to Jesus. He said, I brought my son to your disciples, but they weren't able to, to cast him out. So Jesus cast the demon out. And the disciples come to him later and say, Lord, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, because of unbelief. And he goes on to say, this kind only comes out how? By prayer and what? And fasting. Oh. So there seems to be a call for fasting. Specifically dealing with the trouble of unbelief in the heart of a believer. Because the stuff of this world, the good things, can start to weigh us down and we start to lose focus on Christ. So there are times we call for a fast. To lay something down. And to put your eyes where it would have been for those things on Christ. Seek after Him. Go after Him. Like a hungry man. Go after the Lord with that desire. That desire. One of the things that we see when we fast is we experience a few things. Surrender. Surrendering our own wants and desires to pursue a passion for God. And God will meet you there. He'll meet you there. And when you pursue that passion for God, God's goodness comes shining through. We just create space. Anybody got a busy schedule? A lot of things going on, hard to fit everything in. When am I going to do this? When am I going to do that? 
You'd be amazed how much time you got if you stop eating. But I don't think I could. Yeah, you can. I didn't think I could neither. I'm going to tell you the most amazing experience I've ever had with God Almighty was on the fast. Most amazing. I'd love to tell you about it, but it's mine. You've got to go find yours. It was amazing. Unbelievable. I'll spend the rest of my life longing for moments like that. Because it creates in me a hunger for God. A hunger for Him. What an awesome thing to have in our lives. Well, I was seeking the Lord because as we call a solemn assembly, we're looking for, well, what's going on? What, what's the issue? What's happening? And the Lord led me to Amos chapter 8. See, you're getting a lot of work out with your Bibles. You say, Amos chapter 8? You've got to be kidding me. Well, if you found Joel before, you were close to Amos. Don't give up. And there is no shame in looking it up, by the way. Somebody sitting beside you will be so thankful. Oh, I'm glad you looked it up. I didn't know where it was either. <laughs> right after Joel. Amos chapter 8. Now I know there's a lot of things we as individuals... It, uh, trust me, if you set aside these four days, guys, and you and you fast, you set up your fast, whatever it's going to be, and then you don't get hung up on it. If you mess up, you just say, forgive me and keep going. Don't let the devil win just because you messed up. There's grace. Everybody's heard of that before, right? Okay, so this is not a this is not some kind of legalistic deal trip I'm trying to put on you. You don't let that you keep the focus Christ, okay? Keep the focus going after Jesus. When you do, God is going to open your eyes to issue a sin, a problem in your life that's that's created a a, a gap between you and the Lord. Uh, I don't know anybody who's who's done it that the Lord didn't show that to. That he didn't say, hey, here's the thing. Here he just he just from his word, we're going to talk about it in a minute. It's just going to leap off the page, and you're going to say, Oh, Lord, that's me. He's going to call for your repentance in an issue. And that, your repentance may be a lot of, a, a lot of different things. Could be anything. Could be, you know, like I said, a good thing that, that you're just a little too into, whatever. But corporately, as a body, just going before the Lord and saying, God, what, what, what is our deal? What, what's the thing? I mean, we, we pray for revival. We want to see the Holy Spirit move in power in our midst. And we want to see God do incredible things. And so just going after the Lord and saying, God, show me. So he brought me to Amos chapter 8. And in Amos chapter 8, this is what he said. Thus said, the Lord showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel, and I will not pass by them anymore. The songs of the temple shall be a wailing in that day, says the Lord God. 
Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, when will this new moon be passed that we can sell grain? And when will the Sabbath be over so we can trade wheat? Making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Even sell the bad wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. To me, the Lord through the prophet is describing something I know took place for the nation of Israel. But as I look at the text before me, what I see coming out is a, is a focus on, on me and the good things that God gives us. The crops that come in, the wheat... And a desire to be about making money. And in a hurry to be making more. But not making space for the Lord. God says you're in a rush to get out and get back to your life. You're not really focusing on me. The Lord says, your feasts aren't any fun anymore. The feasts are full of mourning. Ah, yeah, you know, it's just, I don't have that joy anymore. I don't have that joy in the Lord. I turn your songs into lamentation. Ah, it's even hard to praise. It's even hard to praise Him. And I think that's our attitude but listen to what the Lord says, because I think there's, there's a clue here to how we get on track, what God does to, to bring us back into the place we need to be. In verse 11, He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they will wander from sea to sea and north to east. They will run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The famine that God brought was a famine of His word. A famine of His word. How much time we spend in God's word? Our joy is lacking. Our songs turn to lamentation. Our our desire for the Lord is waning, but our desire for riches is growing. The Lord says there's a famine of the Word. 
Word of God is missing. They seek it and they look for it and they pray and they say, Lord, I need a word from you. But no word comes. No word comes. Whenever there was a famine in the land, God told His people, call on Me. If there's a famine, it means something's wrong between you and I. And the famine is not punishment. The famine is to make you seek Me. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Isn't that what Jesus asked us to do in Matthew? To come unto Him. There is a famine of the Word in our lives. If I was to say there's, if there's a corporate issue, to me, this is our corporate issue. We don't understand that the Word of God is our life. It's our life. Listen, in Deuteronomy 32... Verse 46 says, And he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, and that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word to you, it is your very life. You hear that? It's no empty word to you, it's your very life. You ever said, I just try to read it, but I just can't get anything. The Word of God says, it's no empty word. It is your life. Our physical life depends on the Word. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the breath of His mouth all their hosts. Hebrews eleven three says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. Our spiritual life begins in the Word. Our faith in Christ, James 1.18, it says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth. We are born again by the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Born again, how? Through the Word of God. It is our life. We go on living, experiencing the things of life, the joy of life, by maintaining our constant contact with the Word of God. What did Jesus say in Matthew 4? When He was in the midst of a 40-day fast and the devil came to Him to tempt Him. You remember? He said, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you know where Jesus quoted that from? He quoted it from Deuteronomy 8.3. Moses said, And He humbled you and let, your hunger, let you hunger, and He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We go on living by, by staying in that, in that place of constant feeding on the Word of God. It is what sustains the life of a believer. 
It is what brings the things that we need. For example, where does faith come from? Well, faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God, right? Romans 10.17 Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. The faith that starts our life in Christ and by which we go on living, that same faith comes from hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What about our joy? What about our joy and peace? Romans 10.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It says that joy and peace come through believing. Our faith. Where does faith come from? Hearing the Word of God. Joy and peace are attributed to that same attitude. What about the Holy Spirit? We pray because God's Word declares if we ask for the Holy Spirit, God will give Him. What does the Word say about the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in our life? It says that the Spirit moves in our life through faith. Through the hearing of His Word. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, and now you are perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Bible declares to us that the Word of God gives us hope. Hope. In Romans chapter 5, the first five verses, incredible section of Scripture dealing with where we receive the love of God in our lives, from whom we receive that love. In Romans 5 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Hope comes through the Word. Through the Word. Psalm 78, verses 5-7 through says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and they would arise and tell their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. The psalmist declared that hope comes through the Word, the Word of God bringing forth that hope in our life. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance 
And through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Hope, joy, peace, faith. Are any of those issues in your life? A lack of or a need of more faith. A lack of or a need of more joy. A lack of or a need for more hope or peace. God's Word declares that all those are found in His Word. They're found in His Word, a steady diet on His Word. Focusing on the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to do the work that it wants to do in our life. This is the fast that He has chosen. To turn from whatever that thing is in the world and turn toward Him by spending time in His Word. Four days. Like you never did before. Test me. See. You're going to get to about day two. And you're going to get cranky. And you're going to think, oh, I'm cranky because I'm hungry. Are you serious? You're cranky because you're trying to do something and seek the Lord. And the devil doesn't want you to do it. So he's going to do everything to try to make you miserable, to get you off track, to get you to turn to something else, to get you to go back to the all-numbing thing, whatever you do, whatever you plug into to disconnect, whatever you go to for for uh, that pleasure, whatever that meal might be, whatever that show is on TV, whatever that movie could be, anything but to the Word. Anything but going to Him. The Word of God is is what we need because it's the Word of God, guys, that sets us free from the power of sin. In 2 Peter 1.4 it says, By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The Word of God will set us free from the power of sin. What did Jesus pray for us in John 17, 17? He said, Lord, sanctify them. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. What makes us holy? The word of God. In John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Did you hear that? If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that gives us victory over the enemy. In 1 John 2.14, John says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Because the word of God abides in you. In Ephesians 6.17, we're told that our only offensive weapon in putting on the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. One offensive weapon. 
But there's something we have to realize. You cannot draw the sword of the Spirit from another man's scabbard. If you want to wield it, you have to wear it. You can't go up and pull the sword out of Jackie's scabbard or Fritz's scabbard or somebody else's scabbard. It's yours. Are you putting it on? Do you put on the sword of the Spirit? Do you put on the Word of God so that when you need to wield the Word of God, you have it? In Ezra chapter 7, which is uh, probably the writer of Second Chronicles, was probably Ezra. And Ezra writes Chronicles as the children of Israel are coming back from captivity. See, everything fell apart already. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people who are called by my name, that promise from God through Solomon, that was given to a people who had already seen their whole world disintegrate because they didn't do it. So Ezra writes it to them as they're coming into the land, and he says, look, remember the things that God said. We didn't do this last time. Let's do better. The Scripture says in Ezra, in Ezra um, chapter 7, verse 9, says, For on the first day of the month he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The Bible says Ezra had good success. Why? Because he set his heart to study the Word. Just the Word. To meditate. To focus on it. To turn toward it. To look at it. Hudson Taylor, great missionary in China, he would study from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. because he knew he would not be interrupted. Because the study of God's Word was so important to him, he made a time when he could do it. You might say it was more important than lunch or breakfast or dinner or the TV show, Netflix, whatever. So that they would spend time in the Word. I'm going to close in just a couple of minutes, but listen, I just want you to hear, I want you to hear how the Bible describes the Word of God. And if you hear what I'm saying and you say, yes, that's my experience, then what I'm talking about today is not for you. But if you listen to what's being spoken about the Word of God and you say, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard of then it is for you. There's a famine of the Word. God's calling you right now to make a change and focus on Him and let Him speak to you again through His Word. Listen to what the Word declares. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives my soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Psalm 119, verse 16. I will delight in your word. I will not forget your word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, Your words are found, and I ate them, and your word became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Starting today and for the next four days, I beseech ye, to do IOUs. To focus on the face of God and don't sweat the fast. Just turn from something and turn to the Lord. Focus on the turning to the Lord part. Turn to Him. And I would implore you to say, to repeat, make these four verses a prayer to God as you open His Word. Incline my heart to your testimony and not to getting selfish gain. Psalm 119.36 Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your law. Psalm 119.18 Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 86.11 And satisfy me in the morning with your love. Psalm 90.14 Incline my heart, open my eyes, unite my heart, satisfy me. I owe you. Seek his face. Create space in your life that God can fill. Don't focus on the fast. Focus on Jesus. And hunger and thirst for God. And He will fill you. And Wednesday night when we come together for a solemn assembly to call upon the Lord, you can't even begin to imagine how God shows up. I encourage you join us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We could just set aside, Lord Jesus, and discuss a little bit the concept of the solemn assembly and and 
setting aside these four days, God, to cut stuff out of our life and just feel that space is created by whatever we cut out with you, seeking you. Lord God, as we look to your face and as we desire to hear from you, incline our hearts that your word just speaks forth through us. Open our eyes that we can see incredible things, God, that you might break the, the famine of your word in our lives. Unite our hearts together to fear your name and satisfy us with you not with whatever other things satisfy us now. See, the problem isn't that we want too much. The problem is we're satisfied with too little. We're satisfied with uh, the little delicacies from the king's table. We need to purpose our hearts as Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael purposed in their heart to not be defiled by the things that we can have that are good things there's nothing wrong with the things but that we'd set them aside that we might seek your face god i pray that you would meet us in this place as we desire wholly and completely to experience all that you have for us experience your presence experience your voice That you call us out in those personal areas of sin in our life, Lord, and that we would turn in repentance. God, that you would pour out your Spirit in a mighty way upon your church, God. That you would bring healing. That you would bring yourself, your presence, your power. Lord God, that we might affect our world with the truth of a relationship with Christ. And not the lie of a religious system. God, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified in it, for it is all for you and about you and not about anything else, Lord. And we just turn our eyes upon Jesus. God, we want to look completely and utterly in his face and let all the cares of this world just fade away in the light of his glory and grace. God, we want to see you. So meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.